be in um, Colossians chapter 2 today. Colossians chapter 2, the Pew Bibles, that's page 1169. <clears throat> the letter that Paul writes from jail, this letter of, to the Colossian believers, in it he's very concerned that the believers not be distracted from, taken off from, pulled away from Christ. And so in this letter he lifts up Christ as the great treasure. And over and over and over, he keeps coming back to Christ, and he wants the Colossians to realize what a treasure they have in the Lord Jesus Christ. If by faith they are joined to him, um, they have a tremendous treasure. And so we get to this part of the letter. Last week we, l- we looked more closely at verses 7 and 8 where he said, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord so walk in him, rooted down deep in him and building your lives on him and strengthened and confirmed in the faith just as you were taught and overflowing with thanksgiving. That's the the main positive command he gives here in chapter Uh, 2. Those are things we can do. Uh, Root our lives deeply into Christ build our lives, that is, through the word and through prayer, drawing near to him, and then building our lives in obedience on Christ and just strengthening ourselves in our faith as we were taught. It's our job as, as a Christians is to take responsibility to grow stronger in our faith and to be overflowing with thankfulness. That's a mindset. And... Um, those are the positive things he's commanding in verse 2. And then start, starting at verse 8, he, he, he introduces some negative commands, commands what not to do. And you can see it in verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive. And then if you drop down to verse 16, therefore let no one pass judgment on you. And in verse 18, let no one disqualify you. So... Those three negatives or or commands to not let something happen, to not do something, is what takes up the rest of this chapter 2 for the Apostle Paul. Today we're just going to look at the first one, starting in uh, verse 8, that no one take you captive. So I'm going to start reading at verse 6, and I'm going to go down through the rest of the chapter, just so we can see the whole flow of his thought. Let's uh, have a word of prayer together before I read. Father, again, we come to you, we come in front of your word and just ask, Lord God, please help this. Please speak by your spirit through these words that your spirit inspired so many centuries ago in that Roman jail or that 
Ephesian jail, wherever Paul was being held captive for the faith. We're asking, Holy Spirit, you're the one that inspired him to write these words. We're asking you today to supernaturally apply them to our lives, please. Lord, you know where we need encouragement, but you know what we need. And so we look to your word and we just ask now that you would speak to us. Help us to be teachable and open. In Jesus' name, amen. So starting at verse 6 in Colossians 2. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. And if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have an, indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The word of the Lord. So you can see the Apostle Paul's burden in this letter, can't you? That he's, he's concerned that these people not be uh, derailed or taken off of Christ by some other competing philosophy or teaching. We'll just look 
uh, at the, the positive command that he, give, uh, that he gives in verse 8, see to it, look out or beware, some versions might have it, that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. When he says that no one takes you captive, I think he simply means that no one captures your attention or captures your heart or your affections by something that sounds more plausible. Um, see to it that no one does that by philosophy and empty deceit. Uh, when he says philosophy, uh, some people can look at that and say, oh, see, when you study philosophy, you, you're, you're disobeying the Bible. Uh, I remember taking a philosophy class, a couple of philosophy classes in college, and really enjoyed them. J it, philosophy is the, um, it's a study of human thought throughout history, and uh, there's been some very uh, interesting insights, g gracious insights that God in his common grace has, has given some philosophers throughout history. I still remember the quote I I I hanging on the wall at Hillsdale Academy where my girls went, and it's a quote from Plato, and he says, by education I mean that a person comes to relish what they ought to relish and to abhor what they ought to abhor. Wow, I'd like, I'd like that statement to hang over the National Education Association. Uh, so what we're driving at when we're educating people, Plato said, is to produce people that relish, that delight in what they ought to delight in and hate what they ought to hate. Wow, that's a good, I like that definition of education. Well, as far as I know, Plato was certainly not a Christian. So God, through the centuries, has given insight and wisdom in his common grace to unbelievers. And that's the study of philosophy looks at that. Okay, So he's not, he's not blasting philosophy per se here. This might be best translated, let no one take you captive through the philosophy. The term philosophy was way more... Um, um, it was way more used in the ancient world than it is in our common world today. And so there were all kinds of philosophies around, and there was something going on in Colossae, a certain kind of teaching, a certain kind of thinking or philosophy that Paul is specifically talking about when he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by the philosophy, and he says, and empty deceit. It's a deceitful philosophy that is being taught. And it, look at what he, how he describes it. It's according to human tradition and according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Um, human tradition um, is, is, is simply the things that have been passed down, that human wisdom and then when he gets to the phrase, according to elemental spirits of the world, that, that's an interesting uh, term in the original language. It's, he describes more specifics later about what that means. But the elemental spirits of the world are the uh, stoichia, where we get our, where we get the, scientific term stoichiometry, if you've ever remember that when we were taking chemistry, 
What is it? It comes from this word that Paul uses here. What does it mean? It means either the elements or the elementary principles of the cosmos. It is interesting that he uses this phrase a lot in conjunction with the elemental principles or the elemental spirits of the world, of the cosmos. And um, there, like I said, there will be more explanation by Paul later in this chapter about how that applies to them, and we'll flesh it out a little more, but it includes everything in the old world. Air, earth, water, and fire. These are the four basic structures of reality that the ancient uh, mind used to think that the world consisted of. But it wasn't just the material world. When he uses the term cosmos, he means all the immaterial parts of the world as well, including spirits. Uh, I think a good way in Paul's mind, the way he's making use of the term, is all that pertains to the old material world, including spiritual beings. Um, all that pertains to the old world, material and immaterial, as opposed to the things that pertain to the new world, the new cosmos that Jesus is making. Um, I think that sort of, it's a, I think it captures a lot of the way that Paul uses that term throughout the New Testament. And in weeks to come, we'll look at how he uses that in the book of Galatians as well. But the main point I want you to see that he leaves us with at the end of verse 8 is, and not according to Christ. This philosophy of empty deceit is according to human tradition. It's according to the elemental spirits or the elemental principles of the world and not according to Christ. He wants them to see any philosophy or any teaching that is not based on, built on, and filtered through the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth about him is to be avoided. So at the, at the end of verse 8, what he's emphasizing is don't be duped by any teaching or philosophy that's not based on Jesus Christ. And then he gives the reason why. He gives the reason why. Why? Because, or verse 9, 4, you could translate that because, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Now, you'll notice that in, the, in this letter, Paul uses the term fullness a lot. Just if you're, if you're right here in chapter 2, look back at chapter 1, verse 19. Talking about, this is a description of Christ. And for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The commentary I'm using suggests that that's, a, that's Paul alluding to Psalm 67 out of the Septuagint where the only time in the Old Testament where those terms, God's presence was pleased to dwell, pleased to dwell. And um, so uh, G.K. Beale suggests that in Paul's mind, even though he's not mentioning it here, the idea of the temple and the fullness of God filling the temple is in Paul's mind because whatever this, this wrong philosophy was going around Colossae, they were, they were saying things like, 
if you're really strict and you keep these days and, you, and you're strict on your body and you, you do some sort of liturgy to these angels or maybe burn incense to these angels, you can experience a fullness of God's, uh, of, of, of experiencing God that you're not going to get just in Christ. So Paul uses terms combating that. So when he he's emphasizes fullness a lot, so here we are in verse 9 of chapter 2, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. What does that mean? That means all that God is, is bodily in Jesus Christ. That's a mind blower, isn't it? How can the infinite be contained in the finite? I don't know. But all the fullness of God dwelled, dwells bodily in Jesus Christ. That is a sweeping statement. That's a statement that bears pondering and thinking. The very next phrase is Paul saying, and you've been filled in him. As if to say, if, if you are linked to this Jesus Christ, all the fullness of God is in him bodily. If you've got him, if he's got you, you got all you need. Hallelujah is right. Look at verse 10. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. <clears throat> if, 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 if you're a Christian, if we, if, when you become a Christian, God's Holy Spirit comes and fills you and indwells you, and he's not going to leave you. Now, we can sin against him. We can disobey him and grieve him, and then we lose the sense of fullness we lose that full, full control of the Spirit, but when we repent of our sins and turn back to Him, He comes again and fills us. He wants to fill us. The Spirit, the spirit of God is a Spirit that loves fullness, and He likes to control us. And... Um, somebody, say, somebody has said, well, I... It's not that you need more of the Spirit, it's that He needs more of you. In other words, we, we yield to Him. We, we surrender our lives to Him. The command that Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, which is excess, but instead, and I think he's using this as a contrast, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Instead of indulging in alcoholic drink, indulge in, gorge yourself in, be, be overwhelmed with and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he's directing your life so that the words that come out of your mouth are his words, are kind words, so that no unwholesome word will come out of your mouth, but only that which gives grace to those who hear it. So, the, the, it is in Christ all the fullness of God lives bodily, and we who are his followers, he's talking to the Colossians back then, you have been filled in him. And I, 
who is the head of all rule and authority. There's no one higher. There's no one higher than the Lord Jesus Christ. He rules all the angels. He rules all the circumstances of life. You know, I was just talking to my wife recently, and, and I've shared with you folks, and you know this, but sometimes the littlest things can set me off. Like when I go out to get a pile of wood from the woodshed, and, you know, I'll trip in a hole that the dog dug or something, or I'll bump my head on the, the, the beam that's coming across. And I was having a good day until then. And then it's like, Sometimes, sometimes I can just unravel in a, in a second and act as though God does not exist. <clears throat> what if I really believed that Jesus is in charge of the holes? and the nails, and the wood, and the rain, and the ice, and the snow? What if I really believed it? And what if I really believed that He, who is the head of all rule and authority, wants to fill my life, and in the meantime, He wants to take the wood piles, and the dog holes, and all the forces of nature, and wield them for my good. Well, then I would have to conclude that when I trip in the hole or when I bump my head, that somehow it's for my good. So then I would not kick the dog or curse at the wood pile, but I would say, Lord, first thing, don't panic. This is for my good. Somehow you've allowed this in my life. Would you help me to believe that you are the head of all rule and authority? You say it in your word. You say it right there in your word. You cause all things to work together for the good of those who love you, those who are called according to your purpose, including when you fall and sprain your ankle or something. Okay. What if I really believed that? I want to really believe that. I want you to help me, and I want to help you believe the Bible. More and more. So, all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus bodily, and he, that Jesus fills his people. He fills our life with goodness and with his spirit. He is the head of all rule and authority. And then, so, we've been filled with him. These are, the, these are the benefits that Christ has worked for us. Three main ones I see that Paul is talking about here. We've been filled in him. And secondly, um, we have been spiritually circumcised. Or we have had a spiritual surgery. Look at verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. 
So circumcision, it was a very, uh, obviously it's a very Jewish notion. The concept of circumcision is huge in the Bible, not just because it was a Jewish ceremonial rite, but as a symbol of the spiritual surgery that was needed for everyone's heart for them to be right with God and to enjoy his presence. The spiritual circumcision that Paul speaks of here was prophesied many years earlier. You know, you can go back to the book of Deuteronomy. I'm going to read two passages from the book of Deuteronomy, one at the beginning of the book and one near the end about this spiritual circumcision that God was talking about years ago. This is from Deuteronomy 10, 14 through 16. Deuteronomy 10, 14 through 16. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet the Lord, or Yahweh, set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day, Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. That's Deuteronomy 10, 16. So it's a, God's commanding them, okay, there's the outward circumcision that baby male Israelites had to undergo to be a part of the covenant. But God is saying, way back here in the Torah. By, by the way, if you want to read... Deuteronomy, you know, people say, well, there's no love in the law. Well, there's all kinds of love in the law. Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Torah, is, is full of God saying, I care about the heart. And right here, he shows it. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and no longer be stubborn. He's taking that term circumcision, applying it in a spiritual way and saying, cut away the stubbornness of your heart. And follow me with a willing heart. Near the end of the book, he prophesies of a day to come. This is Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 1 through 6. Deuteronomy 30, 1 through 6. Listen to these words. And when, this is right after the blessings and the curses that God commanded Moses to give them. And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and will gather you again from the, all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, so that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Isn't that interesting? Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Deuteronomy 10, 
verse 6, or verse 16, he commands them, circumcise your hearts and don't be stubborn anymore. But in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, he says, the Lord your God is going to circumcise your heart. He's going to do that spiritual surgery so that you will love him and that your offspring will love him. I think this is foreshadowing the new covenant that Jesus inaugurates. That he talks about, you can read about in Jeremiah 31, 31 and Ezekiel 36, 22 and following. That's what we all need, is we, we need that circumcision of our heart. We need that spiritual surgery. If we're a believer, if we belong to Jesus Christ, that has happened to us. We love him. Whereas once we did not. I remember Patty Bouvet. We said goodbye to Patty for a short time this last year as she as we laid her to rest, as she went home to be with the Lord. And I'll never forget her testimony. She said, you know, one minute I hated God, and the next minute I was loving him. And I had to come to church to find out what happened to me. Well, what happened was a spiritual surgery, a heart surgery, that spiritual circumcision where the Lord did something in Patty's heart to cause her to believe, and not just believe, but to love the Lord. And she lived her life in that way. So this concept of a spiritual surgery is what Paul's driving at that has happened to us. And he goes on in verse 11. This is putting off the body of flesh, the circumcision of Christ, having, and he mentions baptism, he, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So baptism is a picture of dying with Christ and being raised to newness of life. Verse 13 of our text today, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, that is with Jesus, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record. So, so here's the third thing, the third benefit of being in Christ is we have been made alive together with him. We've been raised to newness of life. <coughs> Having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Isn't that beautiful? We've all racked up a debt. What I just received in the mail uh, a week ago from Illinois toll way a bill and you know when we go to see joe and and meredith and asher now we drive through around chicago and they have the illinois tow, tollway you just you just drive you don't stop anymore but they take a picture of your license plate sneaky little uh, tollway people but they, 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 then they track your license plate to your address and they send you a nice bill and you can pay it online <coughs> So I get this bill in the mail and I realize I have racked up a debt. Well, we've all, with our sins, racked up a mighty debt. But in Christ, he has canceled that debt that stood against us, that was calling for our condemnation. That's what he, he says in verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Drew Woods is guilty. The devil ever come to you in your down days and say, what right do you have to call yourself a Christian? Look at you. 
you disgusting piece of garbage. You know what? You can go back to the devil on the authority of 2.14 and say, you're right. You legally got me. But keep reading. <laughs> Jesus has canceled that. How, how did he do it? Look at verse 14. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He took my debt. Jesus took my debt, your debt, all the debts of all the people who ever would come to bank their hope and love in him. He nailed it to the cross. When it says he nailed it to the cross, what it means is he paid for it. He died to pay that debt. And when he said, Tetelestai, it is finished, it meant paid in full. That's the same Greek word that they would use to stamp on receipts that had been paid in full. And Jesus takes that word and screams it out from the cross as he gives up his spirit. It is paid in full. And that's so great! But, uh, but it's like the Apostle Paul can't even stop there. Look at verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The devil probably thought he had, had won. The devil is not omniscient. He, can't, he doesn't know all things. Here he's got the Son of God, the very Son of God. They're spitting in his face. They're blindfolding him and slugging him and say, prophesy to us. Who hit you? And then he gets hung up naked on a Roman cross for all to see and to, to spit at and to mock and to ridicule. The devil thought he had won. He disarmed him and he put him to open shame, having triumphed over them, that is, these evil spirits. In, in the original language, uh, it's a relative pronoun. The ESV translates it over him, in him. Uh, some say in the cross, it's, it, some say in it. Uh, it could go either way. But the point is, Jesus disarmed and put to shame the evil spirits of this world. You know, uh, in football, they call that, what Jesus did was, in, in NFL has a penalty called taunting. By the way, I just want to encourage you, I know everybody wants to see the Lions win today, but the game doesn't even start till 6.30, so you got all, you know, you just miss the kickoff in the first few moments if you come to the family meeting tonight, so don't worry about it. But there's a rule in the NFL, like if you score and you like get in somebody's face and, and put them to open shame and mock them, that's a penalty. It's a taunting penalty. Well, Jesus doesn't abide by the rules of the NFL because he kicked the devil's backside and put him to open shame. And when he rose from the grave, never to die again, all the evil spirits, including the devil, tremble. And he knows his time is short. The devil knows his time is short. That's why he's wreaking as much havoc as he can in these days. 
What, what is Paul doing in these verses? He's trying to paint a picture. Do you see what you have in Jesus Christ? Do you see what an unspeakable treasure is yours in Jesus Christ? In him, all the fullness of God is, is in a body. Do, don't you love that? I don't know what heaven's going to be like, but it's going to be bodily. It's, I, mean, I mean, I know our, if we die now, our bodies lay in the ground until Jesus makes them new. I don't know if we get some sort of in-between bodies in the intermediate state. I don't know, but I do know this. The final state, he's going to resurrect these dead bodies and glorify them, and we're going to have a bodily existence with him in heaven. I mean, we're going we're gonna to be able to clap and eat and drink and play football and all those great things. I mean, it's not just some mystical, ethereal, all the fullness of God dwells bodily in Jesus Christ. Jesus loves bodies. They were his idea from the very beginning. And we're going to have that eternal existence with him if we belong to him in a bodily existence. But he's saying all the fullness of God dwelt in him bodily and he has filled you. He has spiritually circumcised your heart and he has made you alive together with him. He's forgiven you all your debts. He, he blew the devil away at the cross. Oh. Don't be taken off of Jesus easily. How should these truths help us to not fall prey to different philosophies in our day? I would say we need to be thankful for what God has given us in Christ and we need to seek to be more captivated by Christ in our hearts and in our minds. And then finally, pray. I think we should pray for bold freedom and confidence in Christ. Where, you, where we realize all other philosophies are wrong. And I'm not talking about arrogance. I'm not talking about arrogance. I'm talking about a humble, broken-hearted confidence and boldness in the face of all other world religions, all other philosophies. We should pray for that. To have those come together without being arrogant is, has to be a work of God but a bold, glad-hearted freedom from feeling like we need something more than Christ. In this confidence, let's reject all teachings, ideas, narratives, or notions that do not explicitly submit to Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the Bible, and thank you for the time we've had together. I do pray, Holy Spirit, that you will take the truth of this passage and hound us with it in a sweet, hounding way that we would not easily forget as we go about the rest of this day what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. You've filled us, and you want to fill us more, Lord, more and more. 
You have done spiritual surgery on our heart. You've taken away the certificate of debt that stood hostile against us with its legal demands. You nailed it to the cross. You triumph, you disarm the rulers, the spiritual evil rulers of the heavenly realms, the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly places. You disarm them and you triumphed over them and you have put them to open shame. Lord Jesus, we honor you, we praise you. Oh, please captivate our hearts and our imaginations, our hearts and our minds. Steal us against entertaining any notion or philosophy or thought pattern that is not submitted to Jesus Christ. And Lord, give us a freedom and a confidence, a, a humble confidence in the face of all the other religions of this world, all the other popular ideas in this world. Give us a freedom and a confidence and a, and a compassion for our fellow man that uh, might be captivated under some of these um, false teachings. So Lord, help us and then help us to reach to them with the love of Christ. I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.